Hello, everyone. We have liftoff. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Silver Screen Podcast. I am your regular host, Mike, uh, Mike Wilson. And uh, this week, if you've been keeping up with our socials and our schedule, you'll know that we are discussing the movie First Man. Uh, but uh, we am not alone. I am, of course, joined, as always, by my co-host, TK. Hello. And uh, we are joined by a very special first-time guest here, um, someone who uh, specifically requested when I mentioned this movie to come on this episode, so I'm guessing she might be a fan. Uh, Sandra Evanson, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you. And uh, you're, you're calling us from somewhere in, I'm guessing, America, judging by the accent? Texas, yes. Texas, wow. Awesome. So you have a very special connection, I'm guessing, to like the um, Apollo 11 mission and the space program. I do like space, yes. Nice. Where about from Texas are you from, Sandra? San Antonio, so the uh-huh. south central southern part, yeah. Uh-huh. Nice. It's, it's just my wife from Texas. Ah, I didn't know that. <laughs> You'd think I would know that by now, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So, uh, yeah, so as I said, um, th- there's no real reason for this. It was just a film that I decided to... Uh, to try to put in because it's a film I wanted to talk about and I thought there'd be a lot to talk about but I suppose for argument's sake we could still claim despite doing the Toy Story 2 review last week that this kind of uh, feeds into Lightyear which is still going to be in cinemas at the moment but uh, yeah it's a tenuous link at best I suppose <laughs> but uh, yeah I'm looking forward to talking about the movie with uh, with everyone but as you know if you are a regular listener, before we get into all of that, we start with the behind-the-scenes section. Uh, and for that, I throw it over to TK to take the reins. Okay, thank you, Mike. Okay, now the movie is based on the book First Man, The Life of Neil A. Armstrong by James R. Hansen, which was first published in 2005. To date, it's the only official biography of Armstrong. Uh, film rights to the book were sold in 2003 before it was even published with Clint Eastwood initially pegged to direct, but eventually those duties fell to Damien Chazelle, who also directed Gosling in La La Land. Now, according to Chazelle, Gosling was the first and only one he had in mind for the role. Now, Chazelle thought that the best way to shoot the moon sequences was to shoot at night while simulating the sun with a giant film light. The light used to create the effect in this film is the biggest one ever used and was created especially for the production. Now, the opening scene of the movie, in which Armstrong's X-15 struggles to re-enter its atmosphere after hitting the stratosphere, is accurate. Armstrong really did go through the events depicted in the movie as his fighter kept bouncing off the Earth's atmosphere. Now, Chazelle was determined to make the film as authentic as possible. To this end, he instructed Chief Designer Nathan Crawley that no ship was to be enlarged more than 10% for filming, regardless of the comfort of the actors. However, even with the small amount of extra space, it still wasn't enough for framing. The solution was to have the capsule come in detachable segments in order to accommodate cameras. During the Apollo 11 landing sequence, the Capcom communications were not recorded by actors for the movie. They were the actual historic recordings of astronaut Charlie Duke taken from mission control during the moon landing. Mark and Rick Armstrong state the movie is the most accurate depiction of their father and mother they've ever seen on screen. Okay, now the omission of one event caused a backlash upon the film's release. The scene where Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin plant the US flag on the lunar surface was omitted from the movie and was deemed anti-American by some, despite this decision being backed up by Armstrong's sons. 
Now, international figure of ridicule and professional loser Donald Judas Trump was quoted as saying, it's almost like they're embarrassed at the achievements coming from America. So close, Donny, so close. I guarantee they were embarrassed at the achievements coming from America. <laughs> now, yeah. now, Gosling fired back at the culture war incitement, claiming that Armstrong was a humble man and the achievement was widely regarded as a human achievement rather than that of any sole country. And they wanted the film to reflect that. Now, while Josh Singer, the screenwriter, wished to show parts of the story that people weren't necessarily familiar with instead of the usual elements from that landing. As part of this, towards the end, Armstrong wanders off on his own and throws his daughter Karen's bracelet into the crater. This has caused some argument among historians, and it's not exactly accurate. Though Armstrong did take some time out away from Aldrin, there's no evidence to suggest that of to what he did there. Several scholars believe that this is what happened. Certainly Josh Singer's research suggests that he did. Though when asked while he was still alive, Armstrong himself denied it, but then was unable to provide the manifest list of what he took in his PPK, leading some to speculate. Armstrong was obviously a very private man, so would he admit that if true? I guess we'll never know until we broadcast our third podcast from the moon. Let's hope it's less riddled with technical issues than our podcast at the moment. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we can land that... a man on the moon, but we apparently can't communicate with Spain without exactly. uh, difficulty. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I, I remember, um, now that you mentioned that whole rigmarole and palaver, I do remember that kind of coming up and becoming a political thing, as did basically everything around that time. But it really didn't strike me as being a deliberate omission other than the fact that it's not about... The movie is not about the mission, it's about the man, so it wouldn't have yeah. made a lot of sense to... Like it, it was following Neil rather than the mission itself, so that's why I personally didn't miss that scene. I guess. <laughs> no. Yeah, and they did take um, great pains to kind of show everybody's reaction around the world, how they yeah. felt about it in France, and how how much faith they had in America that they were going to make this happen. Definitely, and I mean, it, it is ultimately NASA is an American organization, and it it did take the time to show the, the cost of it. You know what I mean on everyone as well, and. Uh, yeah, and and you know they didn't have to show the JFK speech at the end, which was the uh, I guess instigating factor for it. But yeah, fascinating to give give it that historical perspective, which I appreciated as well. So yeah, yeah. and because there were conversations about is this space race is it worth the worth the cost, both monetarily mm. and uh, what we weren't able to do for people at home. Uh, simultaneously yeah. fighting the Vietnam War, and then of course the loss of life. You know, and and JFK's speech kind of brought that all home. You know that it it is worth it. Yeah, definitely. And it's uh, it's one of the things I appreciated. Not to jump too far ahead, but it didn't really. For some reason, it just never really occurred to me, like to put it into context, that, that the scenes of um, uh, the, the black people protesting about saying, you know, we are essentially living in slums and we're not getting government support and everything. But meanwhile, white guys are Whitey's on the moon. On the moon you know? Yeah, Whitey's on the moon. Essentially, yeah. So I was like, wow, you. It never even crossed my mind, which is, I guess, white privilege in action, I suppose. But, uh... There's a lot in this movie that I, I, I mean, we look back on the events now as a given, mm. as it just happened, as, it, as if, it, you know, it was just going down to the shops. But it's not until you watch something like that that you see how much work and how much sacrifice was put into oh, yeah. this program. Yeah, and I'm, I'm much like, um, I'm from conversations I've had, much like Sandra, I'm kind of fascinated by just NASA and space and the effort that it takes in general. Um, so I'm always kind of in awe and aware of like, yeah, it's not an easy thing and it does take a lot of 
um, well, sadly, loss of life. Do you know what I mean? To get you there Definitely. amongst other things. But then the, the sheer endurance and the physicality, like I, I, when I was younger, I think I was always like, I want to be an astronaut. And then I saw what they go through and I was like, mm, F that. <laughs> yeah, I was exactly the same. I, I, I mean, I still follow NASA. I have, you know, I've signed up for their emails and I watch every uh, every launch. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think it's a real shame that the fervor around these kind of things have died down. Everyone kind of takes it for granted now. And it's when you watch it, it still hits home. Just how, you know, how much people are putting into this. Definitely. But yeah, so bringing it back to the film, though, I think it was an interesting angle and a fascinating thing to look at the actual man and to show his life and that kind of big, you know, humanity achievement in the context of the one person who did it and what it meant in context to his life. So, yeah, right. it was Be uh, it, sorry. Because <laughs> Apollo 11 certainly been it's been done before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah the, like I've seen documentaries about Apollo 11 and what it would have taken to to get there and the actual like I said, more of a documentary than the docudrama, I guess, that this is. And, uh, yeah, I kind of had my suspicions that parts of it were probably embellished, exaggerated, or just pure made up, um, including that sort of powerful scene at the end. I didn't, I didn't really expect that it would necessarily be realistic, but it made sense in terms of what the story the film was trying to tell um, in that I assume, you know, Neil Armstrong had lost a daughter and it would have affected him, so... You know, to that end, at least it's true, even if the actual literal act isn't. So, yeah, I can yeah. I can forgive it for that. A little bit of a creative license, I guess, if need be. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah. So, did you have any other behind the scenes facts or anything for us, uh, DK? No, that was everything. Awesome, awesome. Uh, well, so just before we jump into the sort of sections and start talking about the movie properly, then um, I always like to ask just a, a sort of bit of a background as to how you came to this movie. Uh, and I'm fascinated to learn it for, uh, well, I know you, yours, DK, but I'll get to it. But I'm fascinated to learn uh, from you, Sandra, what was it that led you to the film First Man? Did you see it in cinemas? And what was your experience of watching it for the first time? I didn't see it in cinema. And um, for some reason, I didn't hear about it right when it came out. I think it just must have been a, a busy time for me. But um, perp I think after I had watched um, on Apple TV um, for All Mankind, and then I started searching out something like I couldn't get enough. And I started searching out films like this and I came across it. And I don't know why I skipped over it before because it's certainly something I'm, I'm very fascinated with. And uh, then, you know, I did watch it and I, I liked it. It was very understated. I mean, it's not gravity. It's not interstellar. You know, it's very much grounded in realism. And mm -hmm. um, the fact that they took, I was very, very excited with how, how important it was them to be uh, real, to be, um, to have this grounded in realism. And that's yeah. what really interested me because I felt I could learn from this movie, learn things maybe I didn't know about before. And and I was interested to find out that they actually, there's some unseen footage here that the film crew actually recovered and um, and restored uh, for this film. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Anything we can find that's like part of history always fascinates me. That's why I like these um, these biopics that are actually about events that, could affect us that are within our lifetime, I guess. Um, not really a fan of biopics if it's, you know, hundreds of years ago talking about Tudors or old kings and queens because it doesn't affect us. But I have tons of uh, 
various films about like the Watergate scandal and stuff, for example, because <laughs> I was like, that's not that far removed from when I was born. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and so obviously, like being a space nut, this this would have interested me anyway. So um, I'll get into the story of what um, what my experience was with the film for the first time. Um, but DK. Uh, your first experience is purely because of the podcast, correct? <laughs> it, it is, yes. I mean, I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. Other than Drive, I've never been a big fan of Ryan Gosling. Mm. And, uh, so when I saw this, although I was interested by the subject matter, the actor didn't yeah. really excite me enough to want to watch it. So it kind of came and it went and it, you know, it just flew by my radar. And it wasn't until and, until you said that it was coming up that I thought, oh, better get my ass in gear and, and get this watched. <laughs> Fair enough, and uh, I haven't I haven't spoken to you about the film because I'm this is like the first time, and I'm genuinely fascinated to discover with you what your kind of opinion of the film is and what you thought of it. Because, like I said, we tend to know because it's a film that you've seen in advance, and this is one that you watch specifically for the podcast. So that's going to be a fascinating angle as well. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, I I actually am the only one of us here then that did go to the cinema to see the movie, um, oh. which is is odd because I'm not a huge I'm not really a fan of Ryan Gosling myself either. And I hadn't actually watched um, La La Land or any of Damien Chazelle's stuff. It was just that I knew it was about the Apollo 11 mission and space, and it fascinated me. Um, and I will say that the overriding experience of going to see this in the cinema was uh, the scene relatively early on when the uh, capsule is out of control and it starts spinning and the Earth kind of just appears on like a roller coaster type thing, just, just whipping past the window. Um, that made me violently sick in the cinema because I can imagine. it was... It was incredibly realistic on a massive like uh, screen being projected for you, and uh, yeah, I did actually have to step out for like two minutes after that scene wow. and just gather my bearings and be like, "Whoa, that was a little bit too real." I can't imagine what that must have been like <laughs> to actually experience from within the the capsule or whatever. Because, oh, and then um, I did rewatch the Blu-ray, which I have for this podcast, and thankfully, when you're watching it on a smaller screen, it doesn't have that kind of effect. It didn't make me ill, so I was like, "All right." Fair enough, <laughs> um, but yeah, I was I was waiting on that moment coming because I was like, oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be rough again. But no, as I say, kudos to anybody who puts up with that and can not pass out because I was virtually there just watching. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I, as I say, I think I was the only person. I didn't go with anybody to watch the film. I just kind of went on my own as I sometimes do because I, I was fascinated and I wanted to see it. So, and we'll get into my thoughts and opinions as we discuss more and more of it. So. Um, we kind of break the, the, the podcast down loosely into categories, as you know. So it's like acting, writing, um, direction, music, scenes, etc. Um, but we can obviously, you know, within that, talk about various things and, and go off on tangents if need be. Uh, but just for the sake of kind of keeping to within some kind of structure, uh, the first thing that we would talk about would normally be the acting, uh, which it makes sense, I guess, to talk about the, the man we've brought up a couple of times now, Ryan Gosling. Uh, and I'm going to um, ask you, Sandra, what your thoughts were, first of all, about uh, Gosling in, in the lead role of this film. And what did you think of his performance? I um, was impressed with his performance. I am a Ryan Gosling fan, although not. Okay. I also haven't seen La La Land. Right. But <laughs> I mean, the entire film is understated, so to speak, mm -hmm. because they are playing mm -hmm. real people. These aren't dramatic people. These are average Americans. I think the biggest um, really acting scene for him is the opening scene where, um, you know, of course, you know, we see that his daughter's ill. And, and really, this is where the film lays out, you know, the man himself, what this is about. 
and you know we show how uh, it shows how he's like got to be in control he just kind of has this intensity about how can his daughter you know how can he solve his daughter's problem but then she does pass away and then they're um after the funeral at the home and he goes into a room closes the drapes where he can be alone and he he's just overcome with this profound sadness and you you feel that he does convey that very well and in all other places i feel like the direction of his act of his acting was uh poker face we need poker mm. face from you ryan because he's just very um into the moment he's got control but he doesn't show a lot of emotion um outside of his family um maybe a few moments there uh, but in that in that way, you know, that he does need to be understated, that he does need to be realistic, but he's still able to pull out these little performances when it does call for that emotion. You know, I was I was impressed with that. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it's, it's strange you say it. Weirdly enough, the, the kind of one word that I've got written down and underlined is the same exact thing that you brought up multiple times. And it is that I said it was understated as a performance because mm -hmm. for an actor, it kind of for me wasn't it was deliberately not showy. And kind of like we're going for the Oscar and we're going to wring every kind of emotion out of the scene. And from what I've seen in footage and stuff, it strikes me that that probably was the kind of person that Neil Armstrong was, uh, you know, very bottled up, uh, keep his emotions to himself, private kind of person. Um, so that seemed to have a bit of realism to it. But I did appreciate that when we got towards the end of the film and Gosling had to deliver, you know, the historic lines, uh, that's got to be quite daunting. And I appreciated that he at least put the necessary kind of gravitas and give the weight and time to those lines rather than treating it as throwaway, which I know could have been a choice that a lot of actors would have made so as to not look intimidated by them. But yeah, um, I appreciate that. And I appreciate it even when, you know, when Armstrong was being callous or isolating himself, I think that there was a vulnerability that I picked up from Gosling's performance that uh, a lesser actor wouldn't necessarily have because there was times when it was hard to like him in the way he was acting and yet you still felt i think a little bit of sympathy or empathy for them and uh again that's a very subtle way of, of uh, portraying that from somebody who doesn't give you a lot <laughs> so, i know the part you're talking about it's when uh right before he's going up on apollo and his he's really ignoring his family yeah he's yeah, um, yeah. packing he doesn't you know she wants to to say you know, you might not be coming back. You need to address this with your children. And he's not wanting to entertain that idea at all. But then he does. He goes, he sits down in front of his son, who's just got this piercing uh, mm. look. And and he's, um, though his face doesn't betray it, he's wringing his hands. He's rubbing his hands. And in that moment, mm. he does look vulnerable. Yeah, 100%. That, that wasn't actually the scene I was thinking of, but I don't disagree with you. That's absolutely well, true. It's the um, scene that I thought you were referring to, to be honest. No, the scene I'm referring to is kind of, and it's it kind of, it made me almost rage about the kind of lack of empathy from the character that he didn't realize the effect of what he does on other people in the same kind of way. It was when he's doing the kind of, it's after we've had that horrible accident and we've lost some of the astronauts and he's doing the kind of tests on the planes and he has to basically bail out uh, and then arrives back home kind of battered, bruised and dirty, goes for a glass of water oh. and his wife is understandably like, what the heck happened? What's going on? And he just goes, oh, I forgot something at the office because he can't yeah, deal with the emotion of it and off. just turns around and walks back out. And I was like, All right. that is just, out of order really and yet I, I i accept it i understand where he's coming from it was completely overwhelming for him at, at that moment 
you know, there's a thousand things to consider of, of he's lost his friends. He could have been lost himself. And now he's got to kind of come home and there's no decompressing from that. It's just straight into what the heck happened. And I think it was, I appreciated the the reality of that moment, even though, like I said, if it was me who was in that position as his wife, I very much would have been extremely pissed off with him, frankly. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, what were your thoughts on, on Gosling's performance then, DK? He, he really impressed me. Uh, it was a very, as, as you both mentioned, it was a very understated performance. And it's not something that I would have expected from Gosling from the limited experience I've, I've had with him. Hmm. And uh, it, I mean, it did draw attention to the fact that Armstrong is supposedly this very private, very humble person. And yeah, uh, yeah he, he was in situations he didn't, you know, he, he didn't probably plate the best as a person when it, regard, when it came to his family and things like that. But you never disliked the character from him. You could always see the angle that he was coming from just because of the yeah. amount of pressure that he was under. I mean, he obviously it brought across that he was forever haunted by the death of his daughter. Unfortunately, yeah. with the line of work he was in, death you know, was a major risk and losing so many around him. It obviously would have had an effect. And I think that caused him more and more to focus on his work as time went on. And it seems as though uh, interpersonal relationships suffered the more he focused. He did come across as very driven, not, you know, not to the point where he would cast other people aside deliberately, but he, 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 his, his other relationships did kind of suffer as a result. And I think that he thought it was a, a fascinating portrayal. Definitely. Um, I hope this doesn't come across massively controversial, but as somebody who, um, and I've mentioned this a few times, who was recently kind of diagnosed as being on the autistic spectrum, the performance reminded me a lot of somebody who might have had like undiagnosed autism because he's very, he struggles with emotion and understanding social aspects and things and the effect that his actions have on other people emotionally. But he is very obsessive and perfectionist when it comes to his work. He just doesn't understand that 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 can mean, you know, other people might not see him again or anything. And that's why I appreciated the movie actually taking the time to have those scenes of like, you know, discuss it with your kid and actually having, you know, out of the mouth of babes, having the son say, is there a chance you might not come back? Can you promise me you'll come back? Or is that, you know, no matter how slim or whatever, is there a chance we'll never see you again? And uh yeah, I just really appreciate that. that interesting. The I can that. see that. Yeah. 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 I mean, it falls back into that scene where he's in the garden when he leaves the party early, and he's in the yeah. garden, and Ed comes up to him, and he, and you know they go. Ed tries to coax it out of him, and he turns around and says, "Ed, if I really wanted to speak to Sunday, would I be here in my garden?" Hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, it's because even when it seems like it could be, it's never like he's being callous or he doesn't care. I think it just literally didn't occur to him almost yeah. like, like I said, the key moment being like your kids could lose you forever. And it just hadn't really even crossed his mind until he, he was presented with it and it hit him, I guess like a train in a way. And it was like, Oh, right. Well now I can't focus on anything other than packing and getting on with the mission because it's just overwhelming, I guess. So, yeah. I did like that it showed that angle uh, on yeah. the opposite side of the things, the, the absolute hell that the wives and the families had to go through while waiting. Yes, definitely, definitely. And I mean, uh, again, it's something you don't really consider, but, and uh, again, I can't remember, I should have looked up the name of the actress, but um, the actress who kind of plays the the, the widow of the, the guy who gets lost in the, uh, the horrible fire, um, who's kind of, she's the bubbly kind of, oh, I'll show you how to navigate this world and everything, and then just gets completely broken by his loss and then 
yeah, just in the most subtle of scenes when she's um, when Claire Foy's kind of walking over to her and she just she, she's got nothing left. I was like, that is heartbreaking, and it's one of those best kind of examples of a very small scene that doesn't you know it doesn't insist on itself and it doesn't loudly flashily have somebody railing against the unfairness of everything. It's just that it brings home the reality of, of this to yeah. the people that you wouldn't necessarily think about. And normally that, in I these think... kind of things, you just concentrate on the, the right stuff angle, the, you know, yeah. the, the guys in the, the cockpit, it, you, you never see that much or how it affects the family. And I did yeah. like the approach on this one. And I think that, that contributed to making you feel even more tense for, for Neil's wife, because you did feel like, look, she now can see, you know, there but for the grace of God goes me and that could be me and I, I don't know if I would be able to cope with it at all and yeah, it's it's nerve-wracking, it is, but um, uh, I, on a similar note, like going back to the acting and stuff, I was trying to look for kind of, because there's a really good um, supporting cast of kind of well-known, famous and character actors and I was looking for little moments where they might stand out and there's not really anything hugely again, show your standout, even though there's some solid performances, but there is one line um, and it's from Kyle Chandler, actually. And it's at the very, well, toward the end when they're about to go up on the mission um, and they're reading out basically the prepared statement for what would have happened if they had to be left on the oh, moon yeah. and, and everything. Um, and it's literally two words. Kyle Chandler just says, sounds fine, but he says it with such venom and such that I was like, that is such a really great performance of that because Again, you could play that a thousand different ways, and the way that he plays it is like, I resent that we have to do this and have to be prepared like this, but I understand it. I just don't like it, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I was, I was uh, just going to call out uh, Olivia, a name, Hamilton. the actress's name. Hamilton, yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Awesome. Oh, nice. Pat. Pat, that's she it. was yeah. also in La La Land, which we didn't see. <laughs> I will have to watch that at some time. I really will. <laughs> I quite like musicals as well. There's no excuse, but never mind. <laughs> Someone who uh, I wish we could have seen more of, but I mean, you know, he just didn't have a place in the movie was Pablo Schreiber. I just love him. And uh, he had a few small scenes. But again, like you said, nothing that really stands out. Yeah. I mean, I noted a few names. Like I said, Jason Clark, I thought was quite good. Uh, Shea Wiggum was good in a very, very brief couple of appearances. Um, and obviously you have Corey Stoll as Buzz Aldrin, who I think yeah. is... Uh... I, yeah. I think that, that threw me a little. I, I, this is going to betray my me absolute too. knowledge of cinema. But as soon as I saw him, my first thought, and this is, reflects badly on me, is don't trust him. He's a villain simply because exactly. of Ant-Man. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I that's him in the other LA jacket. That. Yeah. Immediately but I don't like him. They, I, I never knew it before, but they seem to have such very different personalities that Aldrin seemed more outgoing with a tendency to call things mm. as he saw it, whereas Armstrong was more an uh, introverted type. Well, so, you don't get the name Buzz because you're a quiet, retiring wallflower, do you really? No, but uh, it, it didn't... I'd never really picked up on that dynamic between them until this movie. Yeah. I did actually literally Google, was Buzz Aldrin a jerk? because of how they portrayed him in this. And, you know, they said that they did get along with him. They wouldn't have all been on the same oh, mission yeah. if they didn't, but that he he wasn't a jerk. He just did. He just said what he thought. And, and that's we'll bring that up later as one of my favorite lines. So Awesome. Um, yeah, I did, did like the, in going back to the, the acting, I did love the way that Corey Stroll 
was giving uh, Gosling the side eye as they were going mm. over the lunar surface, as if as if to say, does this guy know what he's doing? Yeah, I think I also read it as a tiny bit of resentment of like, yeah, you're getting to go first, <laughs> and yeah, he was the kind landing. of competitive, you yeah. know, person that was like. Uh, I kind of wished it was my shot because he does say that kind of, and again, it could be portrayed as callous, but I think it's more just that he's competitive like that. Yeah. When he when he's you know oh there's no, why not? There's a spot open. I could have the shot to do that and become the first guy on the moon. And as you say, to to have gone all all of that way and then be told you'll be second man on the moon. There's probably there's got to be a degree of like oh damn <laughs> that was so close. Did they get on um, real life? As far as I know, I mean, I've seen interviews and stuff, but I've never actually, um, you know, sat down with the people. I've, I'm assuming none of us have met, like, any of the astronauts or anything like that. But no, I have watched interviews and stuff with Buzz Aldrin, and he is, like, a really sound, like, nice-seeming guy. Very proud of the actual moon mission. Does not take crap from people that are like, well, what do you say to these people that are like, there's, it could have been filmed by Kubrick and the spots don't match up and whatever, to the point that I'm pretty sure he's actually punched a guy out for clearing this. Yeah, he does not um, suffer gladly. Yeah, definitely not. But the last kind of thing I wanted to talk about, unless there's anything that comes up in the, in the acting, uh, is Claire Foy, who seems to have gotten a weirdly mixed reception from what I've seen in this film. Um, I think personally, just to get my thoughts out of the way, that she has quite a thankless role um, because she kind of most of what she's doing is just being worried about the lead character. Uh, and I think during a lot of the more emotional scenes, it does kind of show that for me, she's a little bit out of her depth. Um, but she is great when she actually has the chance to go for it and like rail against NASA or against Neil and she actually gets to express that emotion. But I see a lot of the time it just seemed like TV actress trying her best for me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think she had. A, I think she had a good accent, which is more than you can say for for some in yeah. the thing, <clears throat> Kieran Hines. But uh, yeah, I think she uh, she did it really well, especially on that scene where they turned the the box off and she yes, ended that's, up that's... just going straight down yeah. to Capcom and just letting rip. That's my favourite scene. That's what I mean. Like even though I do kind of. I don't want to say like I don't rate her performance such, but there are key moments that I really did like, and that was one of them, where she kind of goes and she's telling them to turn the box on, and then, as I said, uh, kind of alluded to earlier, the scenes when she kind of makes Neil sit down and talk to the kids about things. Um, but I did note that there's a scene where there's a few scenes where it ventures into cliche, which didn't really work, and one of them was when she has this whole scene about um, I wanted stability, which I was like, oof, this is. This is playing it a little bit too daytime Emmy for me. Yeah, I think unfortunately, when you go and see a film like this, you are going to see it for one aspect only, and that is the person at the centre of the, the the narrative. Yeah. Now, obviously, it's dwelling on the family side of things, and I do respect that. But Janet's always got—is it—is it Janet, or am I getting? Uh, getting yeah, Janet. Part? Yes. Yeah, she's always going to be a kind of second fiddle to most of the movie-going audience. And I do respect the fact that Chazelle and Singer and Foy imbued the character with as much as they possibly could to make her interesting yeah. when you compare it to pretty much what is a, a legend, a modern-day legend. Yeah, definitely. Um, I see what you mean. I just For me, I think that there was potentially a better actress they may have been able to cast in the role. Um, but again, I feel mean saying that because it's just... You know, it's not that Claire Foy gave a bad performance. It's just that there were times when, like I said, she seemed quite out of her depth, given the material that was presented. And perhaps just because, even though I'm not a fan of his, Ryan Gosling so impressed me 
whenever they were kind of together on screen. But again, as I say, I think that's because she had the thankless task of she she had to portray all of the emotion of the scene for both of them because his yeah. point and his entire direction was probably to be as stoic as possible. Um, so yeah, I felt I felt for Claire for you in a lot of ways because, like I said, it was the hardest job, and for me, it it was about fifty percent accomplished. But um, did you have any thoughts on on Claire Foy's performance, Sandra? Well, one thing I was worried about when I saw it was that um, I was only going to see the Queen because that's that's just the worst thing when you see a movie <laughs> and all you see is people from other roles. But I thought that in some scenes she had a very naturalness about her, but in other scenes I am picking up what you're saying where uh, she just felt unnatural in the scene. Mm -hmm. um, and it uh, brings you out of the movie for a second. So I do know what you mean. However, as far as like her, how she held herself and did she look like, you know, a mid sixties housewife supporting her husband. I felt like she did do well in those respects. And then, like you said, there was just a few scenes where she was able to kind of break out and show some emotion. And those are the scenes where she stood out a little bit. But yeah. awkward, awkward, some awkward moments, I guess, is yes. how I would phrase it. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was trying to say, yeah, without trying to sound incredibly sexist. I think there was just a little bit of awkwardness, yeah, to a couple of the scenes, a little bit stilted. But, um, yeah, so I, I have to ask this then, as an American, what, what did you think of Claire Foy's American accent? Because you probably would have picked up on things you could. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was fine. That's fair enough. <laughs> I keep forgetting, of course, at times that these uh, English actors putting on American accents probably sound fine to us and then you speak to an American and they're like oh no 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 because I know the reverse is very true when an American I was, puts on a British yes, accent. I was just gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a uh, very hit or miss don't uh, don't anybody listen to Dick Van Dyke attempt an English accent because we don't sound anything like that <laughs> but yeah so no Mary um, Poppins got it anyway that's neither here nor there so did you guys have any last thoughts on the acting before I move to, to kind of the next part of the, the review no, not particularly no. nope Nope. Fair enough. Um, yeah, so the next thing I want to talk about is just anything that might fit into the writing and any thoughts you guys had on that. Um, the first thing that I noticed is that, again, this was the second watch that I noticed it, that it actually points out the um, the multi-axis trainer that you have to go through. Uh, the, the the first thing that I saw where I was like, nope, not going to be an astronaut ever. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I kind of appreciated that they showed that, but I'd seen it so many times that I didn't realize until second viewing that it's kind of setting it up Chekhov's gun style that Armstrong has to go through that so that when they actually get to the part that did make me sick, when it's like the capsule's out of control and spinning wildly, he's able to not pass out and get full control back of it. And I'll say, oh, that's actually really economical storytelling and the kind of, um, it's, it's some nice like show, don't tell type stuff because I, it didn't occur to me that that scene was there to set up something later. I just thought it was part of the training. So I, I actually that. have show, don't tell written down. They did yeah. that a lot. <laughs> Yes, yeah. definitely. It's great yeah, writing, definitely. in my opinion. Definitely. And um, related to that, I think th there's an overriding sense to me that, that the movie has like the constant specter of death hanging over it. And yet exactly. it never feels it never feels maudlin or um, nihilistic about it. And it never points it out to you like, oh, this you could die or there's been death or whatever, um, except in one really powerful moment, which I'm sure I'll mention later. Um, but yet it's always there. And I think that's great filmmaking that yeah. you can... You can have it in the background without having to think the audience might not realize this and we have to spell it out to them. Um, I think, it, it. I mean, you know Armstrong is going to survive all this, but even so, the writing together with the direction, 
you're on your ed- the edge of your seat as if you're not expecting him to survive, both with the X-15 flight at the beginning, the docking mm. with the Adina, and then later on with the lunar landing. You forget you're watching actual events yeah. and you become fully drawn into the moment. Definitely. It's nerve-wracking, or at least I found it nerve-wracking to, to watch. Definitely, yeah. Awesome. Um, I also appreciated this, again, just from a screenwriting perspective, that there's a kind of constant ticking clock that you don't even realize is there because it's kind of off screen, but it sets it up at the very beginning with the Russians beating the Americans to getting uh, the first person in space. And then the idea, again, a lesser filmmaker would have had news reports cutting in every 20 minutes to point out their progress and we have to beat them. But we just got that one thing about, oh, they're going to try and beat us to everything. We have to step up our game. And you know that's there and you know that that's part of the tension, but it's never spelled out beyond that one scene. And again, I appreciated that it trusts the audience to know like well why are you why are the americans pushing this and why is this loss of life necessary and they do wreck the... it up a little later with that yeah. scene where they get called in around the tv and it's showing that, yeah. that you know the soviets have done the first spacewalk and they've beaten the us that's, what I, and... that's what I mean yeah that's actually quite early on you you probably don't yeah. register it as being but it's quite early on where it's like um they've established that we you know we've had the big speech and they're going to try and do the whole landing a man on the moon and then they get incredibly frustrated because the Soviets have actually got someone into space first. Um, and then there is one brief thing, similar scene when they're at NASA and talking about like the safety protocols and how they're not safe to do something or other. And I think somebody just in the background says, if we don't do it, then the Soviets will beat us to this as well or something like that. So again, it gives you that sense of tension and it gives you a little bit of justification uh, not necessarily morally, but certainly justification as to why the people are, are doing this and, and what the, like I said, the ticking clock in the background of it all is. Um, so, yeah. As I say, when you look back on it now, it's a done deal that, you know, they were always going to succeed. But the film emphasises just how much of a risk these missions were. I mean, at several points throughout, it puts the audience in the point of view of the astronauts. And you come away realising just how flimsy these setups, although at the time they were the higher technology, were. Definitely. And that was the next note that I had was that I appreciated the writing deciding to show you the the macro to the micro, as I've put it, so that you have all of this stuff and all this technology and all these safety protocols. And it focuses on a, a dodgy seatbelt and the fact that there's a fly in the capsule. And I was like, this, the tiniest thing could spell disaster. And again, it's showing you that without spelling it out to you, without having a character be like, hey, if the slightest thing goes wrong, this could be... And it's just like it's Neil watching the fly is kind of like, yeah. what does this what does this mean? What could happen? And like I said, the seatbelt not quite working and then thinking to yourself as a viewer, oh, what's going to happen here? What's going on? And, Even though, like you said, you know what happened, but still. And he's driven home later in the uh, the wiring problem with the uh, oxygen in the capsule that, you know, unfortunately takes the three astronauts. Definitely. Um, although even... There is one point where the film does kind of tell and not sure, but I think it works because it's in context, which is when they have the really harsh press conference, which just points out literally every one of their worst fears to them. And I think you get the sense, again, from the performance, that this is things that Neil hadn't considered and hearing this is not a comfortable thing for him, I guess. Um, And it calls back to when he was at the funeral and he just didn't want to talk about death or anything like that. So he just doesn't want to address the negative side of things because for him it's either succeed or there's no other side of things you know um, yeah. yeah another thing i thought it was interesting is um i feel like they really showed uh particularly after the gemini 8 uh mission when they came back and 
um, it's kind of like we hear about, you know, men being at war and coming home, you know, when you're a mm. part of something so big, yes. how hard it is to come home and just be normal. I uh, think that's when one of the wives was saying, you know, Ed walked around like a zombie when he got back mm. um, and and the wives just sitting and talking about that and that they have each other to talk about that. But then the men, when they were together you know, all they wanted to do was be together and sit around, talk about it, even though they're back on earth, they've never actually left space. And, yeah. and, and they couldn't just go back and be normal. I mean, of course, they did go back, they interacted with their kids, they went about their lives, but, but they just feels like never be normal again. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, going, going back to the writing, uh, it's possible that Armstrong's perspective, and I think they were trying to hammer that home, began to change from the very moment he reached the stratosphere right at the start of the movie. And he saw the earth from that new perspective. And it's something he touches, it's something he touches upon later on several times in the movie. And yeah. I think it's possible that that intensified his own kind of withdrawal from events. Yeah. Well, it's kind of hard to, it's not really a shared experience you can discuss with anybody. I would imagine You know, it's going to change you, isn't it? Seeing, like you said, the earth from that kind of perspective, um, uh, so yeah, I can kind of appreciate that as well for sure, w without it having to to spell that out for you. But I did appreciate on the the kind of flip side of that that we did at least get that scene of uh, it's a montage towards the end of actually showing that in spite of everything, Neil and his wife were great parents, and they do kind of just play hide and seek with the kids and have like a good time because I think we needed that to emphasize that they weren't cold and distant and ignored their other kids and stuff. So. Yeah. It's only a, like a two or three minute scene, but again, I just really appreciated that the film took the time to have that in there to show that, you know, that there's a human being at the center of all this at the end of the day. Um, so, and I was curious what you guys thought about that scene or if you thought it was a scene that you could have like lived without and you maybe didn't need in the movie. I think it was important to to contain it because if, if you are going to have a side where you do show the family life, you're going to have to show every aspect, but you can't have it just beyond the the turmoil of this family you have obviously they stuck together so yeah. obviously you know you're going to have to show that they did have the good times as well as the bad that they were going through throughout this entire process and i, I think it was a, a good scene to include Definitely. yeah i think so too because if you didn't show it we might make an incorrect assumption that he withdrew from family life after after that yes. and that just wasn't the exactly. case exactly yeah yeah, that was my point. Yeah, definitely. 100%. Um, so did you guys have any last thoughts on writing before I start talking about the direction and uh, just praise everything for a long time? <laughs> <laughs> no more. No more there. I mean, yeah. really, uh, writing kind of leads into direction, kind of leads does, into, yeah. I mean, it's it a sum of its parts. But in this movie, because everything's so understated, especially so. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I, I will say that I did, I, I do think, I mean, you think you know everything, but past the usual moments, obviously, you know, the eagle has landed one small step. Mm. You don't really, when you look into it, know that much about Armstrong as a person. He obviously, as I say, worked incredibly hard to get where he was, even when circumstances didn't present themselves. And I think it's a testament to the writing that they actually showed that side of things. So when, when you did actually get to the eagle has landed, you felt like you knew so much more about him as a person. Definitely. And that relates to why I, as I say, I, despite the fact that it might not be real, I really loved that touch of, of the cool, uh, you know, dropping Karen's bracelet onto the lunar surface. Because for me, it is, like I said, it brings it full circle. It re-emphasizes that this is a film about the man, not what the achievement means for mankind, which is still there because it's part of it. But this isn't that story about the, 
you know, the historical impact on everyone. It's about the the nature of the man, what his life was like getting there, and then the effect that it had on him, uh, you know, yeah. leading up to it and then actually taking part in it. So, yeah. And when, he's, was, when his own yeah. sons say this is the most accurate depiction of our parents ever yeah. put on screen, you know they've hit the nail on the head. And I, and I, I, I do appreciate that. Definitely. And, uh, yeah, you get the sense, as I said, from scenes like that, that despite all appearances to the contrary, that Neil was a man who felt very deeply he just didn't really feel comfortable or uh, feel at ease expressing that, but it was very definitely there. So, as I say, I think that having that powerful of a moment physically at the end of the movie just, uh, you know, it brings a tear to the eye, really. But, yeah. And and um, the reason they chose him, he wasn't a workhorse like Elliot yeah. who got bumped. He was a thinking man, which was illustrated when, you know, they were trying to look for the um, the target vehicle. They're doing their docking and they're off and they're talking about, you know, getting back on track and they're asking for a status update. He's like, not right now. I'm busy. And he himself, yeah. you know, calculates what's needed right there. Pen and paper. No computer. Yeah. yeah. What's needed Definitely, to yeah. to correct their trajectory and where he thinks that might be. Yeah. And I think related to that, I think I got the impression from scenes like that, that this perceived lack of emotion is actually also a lack of panic, which kind of makes him perfect for a mission as dangerous as that. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know about you, wrong. but if I were in that situation, I would, I would have just lost it. Yeah, precisely. Like I said, you don't want somebody who's over emotional. That's like, oh God, what are we going to do? It's going gonna, it's gonna... to, you want somebody that's like, shut up. I'm focusing. I'm going to get us out of this. Um, you know? So yeah, appreciate it a lot. During the astronaut selection for Project Gemini, and then they were pushing him on that subject. They were asking him, did you, you know, uh, I'm sorry to hear about your daughter. And he's like, was that a question? He's like, well, you know, yeah. surely that has to affect yeah. you. And just very calmly he says, well, of course it affects me. You know, next. Yeah. I, again, I love the way that was written because it is. It's something like, it, I think it would be, it would it would be disingenuous to claim that it wouldn't have an effect or something along exactly. those lines. That's It's said in such a cold way, yet so true. Uh, and he doesn't deny it. He fully acknowledges that, you know, yes, of course it's going to have an effect. What a stupid question, you know, but uh, yeah, love that as well. Um, so moving on to the direction, then the first note that I have is I absolutely adore the direction of all of the flights in this movie because I was trying to take notice when I watched it the second time round of what it was that made it feel so immersive to me. And I think it's a combination of like so many things that the director does and it's things like quick cuts or point of view or using reflections, putting you into the um, the eyes of the person to see things reflected rather than seeing the whole overall scene. Um, and that might relate to what you were saying, DK, about like having very cramped spaces to film in. So there wasn't a lot of space to do the whole, you know, you're not you're not watching from an omniscient third person view. You're actually right in there with them. You're there. Uh, it, 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 when they're about to launch, you feel like you're sat on a roller coaster. It's just about to start moving. Definitely. Um, and related to that, which I'll get into it a bit more later, but related to that, I think whenever it cut out sound completely to emphasize that you were there, because, you know, there wouldn't have been music or background sort of film score or whatever. So whenever, the you know, there was they were sitting there tensely waiting for a launch or whatever, um, Chazelle has the, the balls, I guess, to think, no, we're just going to sit here with the silence for... 10 seconds or whatever, because that's what it would have been. So why sugarcoat it? We're going to go for the reality. And I think that does, it helps to immerse you more and it really makes you feel way more nervous tension for them as well. Um, yeah. this, this has made me want to watch more Giselle films because I think, I think the direction on this was just beautiful in parts. Yeah, same. And yet none of us have watched La La La. Too, which no. we probably should. 
<laughs> yeah, we should give that one a go for sure. But yeah, I just thought, um, as I said, we, we, we're beating a dead horse. But I've I've said the same as you, uh, Sandy. I've said a few times. Show don't tell works really well, juxtaposing the sick kid with work and kind of all that kind of thing. Uh, intimate, detailed close-ups to show emotion because it has to be that focused. Um, you know, the exposition being quite diegetic because it doesn't take you out of the reality was something that I noticed, which, you know, it's just basically a very, a very over the top highfalutin way of me saying, instead of like stopping the movie for, and this is what Armstrong and co had to do in that, you know, it, it's like, there'll be a, a video playing for the astronauts of what they've got to do or yeah. a news report telling you what's going to happen. So it never breaks the reality of the movie for you are watching a movie. This is what had to happen next. So, <laughs> Um, which again, you might not think it, but there's a surprising number of movies that wouldn't do that, that would go for that disconnection. So I appreciated that. Um, yeah, oh, the that's... realism putting me in the seat, that is what stuck out to me most uh, throughout 100%. all of this. Yeah, mm -hmm. and really, related to that, this is again a little touch, but I had to make a note of it, is that um, in one of those scenes when they're kind of tilting the capsule skywards to, to go for the launch, and it's the littlest thing, but I was like, what a cool directorial touch that to show that they're now facing skyward. Because there's no change. It's still just kind of blue sky outside, but it just shows a bird flying the past. bird flying over there. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that is such a genius touch because it's so subtle, but it tells you everything you need to about, and now we're pointing directly upwards. <laughs> so, yeah. I do um, think it was a good idea to not increase the capacity, the size of the uh, the ship. For filming, obviously, cost because I mean they they came across as so cramped with the viewport so small. So wonder that they managed to get anything done and just just did not just go insane. The practical there were so many times. Part. Besides the like you said, the riding of the ship to point skywards, there were so many times that you were inside that capsule and you could not see anything. You were either listening to the, the radio chatter, what he was saying, what he was doing, what he was trying next. And they would show you some exterior shots of the ship, but it just gave you this feeling of helplessness in that in that ship and how dependent they were on their instruments because you could not just look out the window and see what landmark you're passing. No. Yeah. Especially yeah. when you hear that when it starts to creak, the pressure on the, uh, on the mm. outside of the cabin. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Scary. Um, Related to that, then, I was curious to know you guys' thoughts, because obviously mine are quite self-explanatory, but the kind of, I love how stunning the views when they get there of kind of the atmosphere um, and then the Earth from orbit and everything is and all the space scenes. And when things are going well, the fact that it does kind of fall back on that cliche, I guess, of classical music, but somehow I don't mind it. Um, and then, as I say, it cuts out as soon as there's a, a danger or a threat. But I will say the kind of the awe of space it does take the time to still do that. And it does still hit me as somebody who loves kind of space stuff. And I would assume yeah. that would probably be the same for at least one or two of you, one of the two yeah. of you as well. So um, did you get that from the space scenes or because again, it's such a, an easy thing to take for granted, I suppose, but just the awe of, wow, we're in outer space. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And again, it's from, it's from Neil's perspective. It's, mm. It's not for the audience to to see how awesome space is, but it's it was Neil's first time in space or his first time on the moon, um, what he saw, what he felt. And um, so you did get those quiet moments where, you know, you would be doing the same thing. You'd be sitting there just like, wow, I'm in mm. space right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 
Awesome. Um, and so on a, on a slightly less kind of uh, pleasant side, uh, one of the things that hits me the hardest in this film is the the fact that they do actually show the the tragedy with uh, with Gus Grissom and Co and the kind of um, the, the horrible fire that the in the training and everything. Um, it really hits me because again, it doesn't do the gory and grisly kind of thing. It plays it for the tension and it just cuts away from the action or whatever's going wrong. You know, you have all of that frantic kinetic what's happening, what's happening, and then it cuts away and you just see the boom and the kind of uh, the pressure bust out the door, I guess. Yeah. And then silence, and it's just so, like, because you know this is real people and it really happened, to me it really just genuinely broke my heart for a second, and then to see the effect that it had on Neil, because as we've mentioned, the kind of, he doesn't want to betray emotion or anything, so he gets the phone call and it's just like a completely calm sea, no reaction whatsoever, and then the camera pans down and he smashed his glass with his hand because yeah. he's been, like, struggling to keep the emotion i guess in check so i think the combination of those two scenes is probably it feels wrong to say a favorite part of the movie but certainly most impactful part of the movie for me um and i was wondering if it hit you guys maybe in the same way or you just thought it was maybe overplayed or a bit um no no it was it was done really well especially as interspersed with you know the hobnobbing and talking to senators about the funding and, and yes you had this impending sense of doom but again even though you know events you kind of going, no, please, no, please, no. So when it does actually happen, you are fully there with him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Awesome. And, and it does yeah. seem to be a theme where when he's not betraying the motion on his face, it's something, you know, he's wringing his hands, talking to his kids. Mm. He smashes the glass uh, when he hears this news. So that's interesting. Definitely. But did you get affected, not, not to sort of put you on this one, but did you get affected by the kind of showing of the uh, the tragedies and things? Because I was surprised the film took the time to show it in that kind of, not detail, but that kind of an influence rather than just the effect it had on Neil if it's his story. So I kind of would have expected the film, I guess, to almost just show the phone call. Um, so when it showed it, I think, like I said, it really it affected me profoundly knowing it was real. Um, did it have the same effect on you, Sandy? Or? Maybe not as profoundly, but it was tragic certainly and yeah and just the in i felt more like the injustice of it all like where was everybody and and mm. why did this happen i mean it was just it wasn't even like they were prepping for an actual mission it was just a practice run and yeah. and yet this tragedy happened and then it also raised the stakes of you know do these people <laughs> really know what they're doing yeah and like yeah. i said the fact that it really emphasizes that the littlest thing can mean disaster. And that's when you get the scenes after that of like seatbelts and flies in the cockpit and stuff. And it's like, we've seen the littlest thing literally cause a disaster. Yeah. And that nervous tension is very there after that. So, yeah. And then immediately after that, they have that conversation where the Kieran Hines, uh, I, I forget the real guy. And he says, you know, are we ready to pay the cost? And Neil turned around and says, well, it's a little, a little bit late to asking that question. Don't you think? I'll definitely be bringing that up again later. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think uh, the, the constant kind of, um, when we get to the moon flight as well, and it takes the time to show Neil constantly eyeing up all the different like back out buttons and stuff and ways out, which is something he's never done at any other point, uh, which for me, it shows growth. And it also shows that he's he's not unaware of the depth or the, the gravitas of what's going on here, even if he seems very focused. Um but, you know, related to that, I also love that, again, Giselle was tasked with showing us something that we've seen so many times in that Apollo 11 landing. And the almost balletic take, I guess, of it was 
something that I really appreciated. And again, the use of like jarring silence as they descend and the fact that he has the guts to include like the boot print and the iconic imagery and the lines and everything. And it doesn't feel hokey or yeah, yeah, I've seen this part. It just really affects no. me at least. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so did you guys, um, I've, I've kind of talked a lot about direction and sound and music there. Did you guys have any other thoughts or things you wanted to call out about that that you thought would be uh, worth mentioning? Well, the um, music, again, another thing that was understated, but I thought it was interesting that they used the theremin. I'm, I'm actually not even sure if I'm using that correctly. Yeah. And they yeah. did that because... Um, it was it was an actual interest of Neil Armstrong's and it, it was very haunting in places. Um, and then they did also use um, uh, when they had uh, launched Apollo 11 and they were talking about music, they used Lunar Rhapsody there, which was also uh, <laughs> yeah. something that Neil Armstrong listened to. So I thought it was cool that they included that just in the vein of, of being realistic and, and trying to bring the, the truth of this man, but um, there was no sweeping scores or anything like that. And, and again, it was because, you know, we were supposed to sit with these moments, not um, feel uh, any forced emotion over these moments. They were emotional enough. And so I just thought it was interesting that again, the music was kind of understated in this. Definitely. Definitely. Just, yeah. I mean, just in Hurwitz's soundtrack, I thought that was absolutely fantastic. My first thought was I've got to get a copy of that soundtrack. His use of the, the theremin and the Moog uh, synthesizers. That entire section from where they're descending to the lunar landing right to mm. when they do actually land, I just thought, oh, it was just beautiful. beautiful. It is. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, very evocative and very reminiscent of kind of classic 60s and 70s sci-fi for me anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I got, maybe it's just me, but I got some kind of old school Doctor Who vibes almost from it in that scene as well. So. <laughs> it, um, because of the Moog synthesizer, it took me back to Wendy Carlos with the uh, Clockwork Orange. Okay, fair enough. Oh, fair enough. Um, cool. Yeah, I didn't know anything about the kind of music and stuff like that, so it was fascinating to hear from uh, from you two about that kind of thing. That's, that's awesome. Um, yeah, and did you mention the cinematography here? Did you want to talk about that yet, or is that a different... Oh, I, I'm definitely going to ask. The last thing I have is just scenes and kind of, uh, you know, um, general things, you know, other things okay. to talk about. But certainly if you want to take the lead on that, then, yeah, the cinematography has to be talked about because it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you have anything else you wanted to add other than that or was it just to point out how good it was? <laughs> well, I mean, it's just uh, I thought it was interesting that they used three different formats. They yeah. used um, the 16 millimeter for some parts and uh, they used uh, those are for inside the spacecraft and the okay. 35 millimeter for inside the Armstrong house. And then they actually did use IMAX for the um, earth scenes and just the different effects that that had. I, I noticed some things like uh, oh, some of the the footage from them lifting off and stuff was very grainy. Yeah. Uh, so it yeah. did feel like, you know, footage from, from the actual flight. And I thought that was interesting. And then when they had these moments at home between the family, the way they were filmed, where the family was in light, but everything around was darkness. So it was almost like vignettes. Um and and yeah. it's made it very in, intimate uh, moments for the family. Awesome! I didn't realize that they'd done that interview, but I, I I 
think I kind of subconsciously must have done because I picked up on, like I, I said, that there were times when it felt almost like a home movie when it was supposed to be showing you the kind of familial and the domestic side of things. Um, and that kind of almost looked like it had, I guess, a sepia or a filter on it to make it look of the time um, yeah. to me anyway, or it seemed like almost a bit washed out. But when you couple that with the the fantastic, the awesome like period sets and the fashions and everything, it really did make me feel like I was just watching a slice of life from the 1960s, which again is is an easy thing to take for granted, but not necessarily easy. Um, so yeah, lighting and cinematography. But then as you said, I, it, I did pick up on the sheer scope and the, the clarity when you get out in the space or you're in the module as well. So that's just awesome work generally, I think, all around it. They did. They did purposely do that. They, they built exact models um, there. I think there was only one module that they did have to enlarge a little bit, but in most cases they did stick to that uh, realism religiously. Um, they, mm. Ryan Gosling and Chazelle even went and visited museums together. Um, and, and that, yeah, that attention to detail is just so important for what they were trying to do. Definitely, 100%. And the, the last note that I have is just something that my kind of film student -y brain picked up on, which was, I thought it was quite telling that the movie doesn't end with the victory of the moon landing. It actually ends with the victory of him reconnecting even through glass with his wife, which again reaffirms that it's not about the mission. It's a story about the man who went on that mission. Um, and now he's back to Earth. And in spite of everything, he can reconnect because he's achieved his goals and even though, as you said, a lot of pe people that went through that have felt disconnected. I think it probably, the, the impression I got was that it probably brought him closer to his wife, I guess, in a way, um, because he was able to achieve what he wanted and he was able to, I guess, let go of his grief up there <laughs> in some way, maybe even. Um, in this two hour and 12 minute movie, the moon landing was just the last 20 minutes and it yeah. <laughs> was just 10 yeah. minutes of the film. Yeah, exactly. So not, which isn't to say it isn't done fantastically well and given right. that gravitas. So you guys happy to move on to our favorite character moment in line before we get the audience interaction? Sure. sure. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, we'll go around uh, the corner. We'll start with the guest and then we'll hit you, DK, and then me. Uh, and we'll do it one at a time. And we'll start with perhaps a silly question, but who was your favorite character in the movie? Uh, Sandy, we'll start with you. Right. It is difficult because it is just Neil Armstrong. And, and it'd be silly <laughs> to say he wasn't my favorite character. Yeah. Uh, truly. But, I mean, um, Buzz certainly had his moments. And um, yeah, yeah. the people in, in flight control they had their moments when they would have relief and they were there joking and bantering, maybe, maybe making some off color jokes there amongst themselves. But um, it really was just about Neil. So I would have to say he was, he was my favorite character. Fair enough. And uh, what about you, DK? I'm going to have to be slightly controversial here and okay. say, I don't have a favorite character simply okay. because I oh, always I associate. We do that. <laughs> well, I'm hoping we can. It's the first time I've done it. Uh, no. <laughs> because I always associate your favorite character with something that is incredible, you know, a film that's written on a character that's created. I couldn't really, to me, it would be doing a disservice to these real life people to pick oh, well, a favorite. Now we look like jerks. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's just it's just a personal perspective. I mean, obviously, you know, my, my first choice would be Neil, say, but, but he's the star of the show. But I, I think he does a. In, in my opinion, I mean, you know, it just does a disservice to these real life I people. I think I would take that last stand with any biopic as such. 
Yeah, fair enough. I understand where you're coming from, but I, I, I was with Sandra. I just said, obviously, obviously it's going to be Neil Armstrong. But for me, I think the fact that it was a three-dimensional portrayal actually helped that rather than hindered it. So I thought found there was a lot more to connect with rather than, like, this isn't a fluff piece, for example. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I appreciated that. And that's what made it more of an enjoyable experience, getting to know that person, uh, although it is a real person rather than fictional. So, yeah, fair enough. Um, so what's your favorite moment or scene in the film then, Sandra? <laughs> My favorite moment or scene is um, something that you guys had touched on. It's when he's uh, walking down that uh, retractable bridge to Gemini 8. And he, you see the everything, the, the fluorescent light fixtures are, are swaying. Mm. Um, the whole bridge quakes. And you see the Agena rocket go up in the background and... It's just so real. That's what prepped me for, you know, when they went into the takeoff of Gemini. And it sounds so scary. It's so scary and loud. And just when you think it can't sound any scarier, it sounds scarier still. Just the intensity of that whole thing, the realism. I felt like I was there. And that really has to be um, my favorite scene. Definitely. The, the impact of the kind of the... I guess noise and violent rush and everything in such a quiet movie is very deliberate. And I really felt that as well. As soon as it got loud, it was like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm on edge here. So yeah, totally appreciated that as well. Um, DK, what about you? It's it's exactly the same as Sandra, that whole Gemini takeoff <laughs> scene. I just think fair it's enough. done masterfully. That's fair enough. Uh, I'll be the one that differs here then and say that despite what you might think to the contrary, my favorite moment is actually the scene when they're spinning out and the earth is like rotating and appearing in front of the window in a weird kind of, um, because for me, it was really emotionally gripping, immersive cinema. Like fair enough. It made me have to step outside and almost be sick. But at the same time, that, that would have been a fraction of what the actual real life people were going through. And I appreciated the filmmaker, you know, forcing me to feel that, I guess. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. I'm a little bit uh, masochistic. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> that was one of those parts, too, where um, when they would flash back to Neil's face, it looked a little grainy. And so that you almost did feel like you were losing consciousness, like you were gripping yeah. Yeah, onto yeah. consciousness in that point. So, yeah, that was well done. Definitely, definitely. And uh, finally, what was your favorite um, line of dialogue in the movie then, Sandy? Well, I mean, there were actually two, and again, uh, okay. with the under, whole understated thing, I mean, there wasn't a lot of flashy dialogue. So one that you had mentioned before, uh, you know, when they're sitting there, they're talking about who's going to actually land the lunar module. And Buzz says, well, you know, it's been up for grabs since Gus died. Mm -hmm. And everybody looks at him. He's like, well, I'm just saying what you're thinking. And, and Neil says, well, maybe you shouldn't. And, you know, that was, that was, that actually made me ha ha, you know, out loud. I yeah. thought that was kind of yeah. funny. But yeah. I mean, outside of that, it would have to go to um, Claire Foy, like when she goes up, you know, her speaker's been turned off, she runs up there. Mm -hmm. And and she really um, says something out loud that that the I think the direction the film was trying to uh, make you see. She says all these protocols and procedures to make it seem like you have it under control, but you're a bunch of boys making models out of fossil wood, you don't have anything under control. And we did get that sense, you know, when the when the pressure's building inside the capsule and everything's creaking and uh, just how much was left up to pen and paper 
mm. um, how there's an alarm going off and they're saying, yep, don't worry about that alarm, same alarm, don't worry about that alarm. I mean, it yeah. just really was, um, everything was new, stepping onto the moon. He didn't know if he was gonna sink into quicksand. I mean, they just didn't know anything. They were taking a lot on faith. And I thought that kind of encapsulated that. Awesome, definitely. That was a very an awesome sort of version of um, putting us into that perspective that the film, you know, could have done more of perhaps. But I appreciated when it what did happen, and uh, it feels wrong to call it the feminist perspective. But you know, in in terms of nineteen sixties dynamics, it was kind of the wives' perspective, I suppose, on on what the. Because I see it, it was very boys playing with toys as far as they were concerned. Thankfully, NASA not so much of a boys' club now, but at the time, unfortunately, it probably was. So, right. Yeah, awesome. Um, what about you, DK? <laughs> Uh, well, this probably plays into my predilection for uh, the subject of our other podcast. But uh, my favourite <laughs> line is the one at the start where they're judging his uh, compatibility for the mission, mm. and he says, "I don't know what space." Uh, I'll start again. I don't know what space exploration will uncover, but I don't think it'll be exploration just for the sake of exploration. I think it'll be more the fact that it allows us to see things that maybe we should have seen a long time ago, but just haven't been able to until now. Yeah, that, I forgot yeah, that line, good. and that is really powerful, actually. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and very Star Trek. You're not wrong. <laughs> in that way. Um, awesome. Yeah, cool. Uh, my favorite line, as I say, I've already kind of basically alluded to it, and we've mentioned it a few times, but it's when uh, they're kind of talking about, you know, Neil doing these tests and how they're, they're nervous about it, and he just says, we need to fail down here so we don't fail up there. Uh, and his superior says, at what cost? To which he just replies with such emotion, it's a little bit late for that question, isn't it, sir? Which, yeah. again, just brought tears to my eyes because perhaps because of coupled with the impact of the lock, the scene of the kind of actual loss of life and stuff, I was like, oof, that, that hits me like a sledgehammer. So I appreciated that dialogue a lot <laughs> to kind of spell that out for me, I guess, as well. Um, so, yeah. True, awesome. true. Like, we've already paid for it. Now we need to reap those benefits. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, it's a bit late to consider it now. You probably should have done before kind of thing. So um yeah fair enough uh well if there's nothing else for for that then um, i'm going to jump us into the next section before we give our conclusion uh, and that's going to be the audience interaction to get the audience's opinions on this movie uh, we did put out the usual kind of social media uh, on like twitter and facebook and the like and i also posted to a discord film server that i'm in uh, i'm going to start with from twitter uh, a familiar face at will underscore templar even when he's mm. not on the episodes, he has to contribute. <laughs> uh, but no, I do know this is one of, his yeah, one of his favorite movies as well. Mm. Uh, he just says, all I can really remember is the exhilarating soundtrack that Mike probably didn't even notice. Yes, he has a thing about me not noticing soundtracks because they kind of wash over me. Um, I owed another rewatch because I loved it. My granddad in particular loved it. We both found the ending with what I recall being the child's necklace to be really touching. Uh, I then responded, I noticed the powerful decision to have a lack of soundtrack at key moments. Otherwise, I was focused on the stunning visuals. You're right about the necklace, but I think it was a bracelet, by the way. Um, and then Will said, especially at the moment when the kid passed and he locked himself in his room and cried, the lack of music then was phenomenal. Uh, and then he chimed back in and just said, that being said, I want to really point out that this is my second favorite piece of music from any film I've ever seen. And he's posted a link to The Landing from First Man by Justin Hurwitz on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you there. Well, nice one. Yeah, awesome. Um, I'm assuming his first piece of music was probably from Interstellar because I know he loves that movie. <laughs> so, yeah. um, at Mario Bowser 494 on the contrary, says, it was good, but not really for me. The ending was phenomenal, though, and my cousin who loves all things space loved it. So, yeah. Um, 
And then, as I say, I, I, in my uh, Discord group, I just asked what were your thoughts on the film we're reviewing first, man. Uh, Bo Burn Him Alive says, Met, not enough space, too much Neil Armstrong being a boring man. Um, Wumbo on the same forum took a little bit of offense to this and said, you go to space then if it's so dang easy. Every man who does it is boring. You sicken me. <laughs> um, Jack T said, I prefer the sequel Second Man. Hilarious. Uh. <laughs> uh, funky underscore player two says, I thought it was dumb because there were many men who existed before Ryan Gosling did. <laughs> that, was just, uh, that just got me. It's a terrible joke. I'm sorry, but yeah, not the first man at all. <laughs> uh, let's see. Where were we? And then I do have, I think, uh, yeah, uh, Mystery Angel says, yes, I saw the movie in theaters. Thought it was boring. The ending was cool, but that's it. So yeah, a bit of a detractor, I think, from that one. And it's not for was, everyone, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I can kind of understand because, like I said, the film has the, for me, the bravery to kind of let you sit in these moments and cut out the sound and, and let you sit there. But I suppose if you have no attentions behind, maybe it's going to bug you. But uh, So, yeah, that was all I had for audience response. But I think you said you had at least one DK from uh, some of your friends. I have, yeah. I posted in a, a cinema group on Facebook. So it's a shout out to uh, Screen Talk and it's uh, the guy that runs it, which is Dave Trotter. And this was a comment from Dennis O'Carroll. He says, I watched it last year. Not a bad film at all. Gosling does a good job as Neil Armstrong. And even though we know the outcome, the moments leading up to the eagle landing on the moon are still tense enough. Personally, though, I would love to see Kirk Lazarus's version, Moonshot, where he went so method he was found in a box in an alleyway thinking he was in, thinking he was in the lunar module attempting re-entry. I have no idea what that is, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm fascinated. I think that's a bit more than method acting. There. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I'm intrigued. I'm going to look that up now as well. Yeah. Awesome. Fascinating. You know, this um, film actually did win an Oscar, uh, best achievement in visual effects. That's good. Oh, I well deserved. Definitely, yeah. I thought it might have gotten some more, but I think that was because La La Land had so gotten like multiple nominations before. But then, like I said, I realized when I was watching it, the performances weren't really that showy, flashy. We can show this scene during your for your consideration speech kind of thing. So it's not necessarily the kind of film that would win awards, but it's definitely one I would recommend seeing. <laughs> so um, we're going to move on then to just giving our conclusions and scores. And I'm going to do it a little bit differently because I'm going to give mine first because it's going to surprise nobody. Uh, and I'm curious to see what our guest Sander is, is after that. And then what your thoughts finally are, DK, as somebody who's just coming to this for the podcast. No <laughs> so I'm going to start us off and I'll just say, uh, this is a bit like a film designed by committee to appeal to me. I'm a massive space nerd, surprising nobody. Endlessly fascinated with that great frontier, NASA, and the brave men and women who go there. I'm also a bit of a modern history buff with a love of biopics and docudrama that's done well to depict events not that removed from us in time. And finally, I'm a lover of great cinema and the artistry behind it. From the central performance to the many touches of directorial genius to the story being told and the execution of every job by all involved, it just hits for me. I know enough to know the parts that are historically accurate, and I appreciate the dramatization of those, but also the drama of the bits that may not be truthful or that we can't exactly know. There's nothing that seems egregiously wrong, and so this film feels like it perfectly places me in that crucial historical time and the life of the man who went down in history. Any complaints I could make are just minor niggles, and yet there's so much that captivates, soars, and is beautifully presented. Immersive, brilliant cinema that is truly out of this world. 
Uh, and again, surprising nobody, I gave it five stars out of five, <laughs> which, ooh, the shock. Um, so that was my thoughts on the film. Um, Sandra, uh, as our guest, I would normally have went to you first, but I'm intrigued to know what your thoughts are on the movie. Yeah, well, I guess I'm a little bit more critical. You know, I judge a film on if it evokes, you know, some emotion from me. And it certainly did because I was scared, you know, in mm. some parts. But I really don't think, and and this does sound absurd, but I really don't think they were asking us to love their movie even. They wanted us to walk away, you know, loving the man and what he did and the sacrifices. And I do think it achieved that uh, separate from the film. So yeah, I went with a, a 4.2. 4.2, very specific. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> the first person that hasn't just given us a solid number. <laughs> I like it. I, I just um, can't. <laughs> uh, and DK, what about you? <laughs> okay, it's my usual long rambling conclusion, so bear with me. It's always mine, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, first man is a fascinating look into the life of one of the most famous yet enigmatic people in modern history. Armstrong was always a very private person, which over the years has seen him as both a legend, icon, and at the same time, someone that I would hazard a guess as to say the majority knows very little about past the headlines. He was a true pioneer, and yet he's almost treated as a footnote despite his achievements, such as our preoccupation with celebrity. This gave us a look into Armstrong as a living, breathing individual, and balanced the usual right stuff type scenes one would expect from a film of this type, with glimpses into his family and home life. This could have been an exercise in navel-gazing in the hands of some, but screenwriter Josh Singer, director Damien Chazelle, and its two leads, Ryan Gosling and Claire Foy, all craft such a moving experience that any dull moments are few and far between. Though if I had one minor criticism, it would be that personally, some of the scenes broke up the story, while some scenes seem to be cut far too short. It humanises Armstrong in a way that takes us past the glory, past the usual televised highlights, and shows us just how dedicated and inhuman he was. The effects are incredibly believable. The attention to detail seems, to a layman at least, second to none, and it demonstrates just how much care went into the production. The supporting cast do their jobs well, even when one or two accents slip a little, and the entire thing is an exercise in how to tell a story well. It may not have the gloss or polish of movies like Apollo 13, but First Man is a fascinating and deep dive into a modern-day hero, and I was gripped, and I've given it 4.5 out of 5. Okay, um, fair enough. So, uh, if I'm not mistaken then, so that gives us a total overall for the podcast of 4.566666 out of 5. <laughs> so, for argument's sake, we'll just, call, we'll just call that a 4.5 out of 5, which is still a very, very exceptional That's score fair. for, in my opinion, an exceptional movie. So, you yeah. know, speaking of footnote, we didn't mention Michael Collins, not even once. I know, oh, right? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I couldn't believe it was Lucas Haas. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. Excellent. It seems like a, a very good episode. I'm happy with the way that went. And uh, Sandra, thanks for joining us and being a fantastic guest. That was awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd we'll, love to uh, do it again sometime, if possible. Yeah, well, I'm just going to say, we'd love, we'd love to have you back on uh, another time. Definitely. Fantastic. And uh, you definitely know your stuff and you watched and enjoyed the movie and uh, took your notes, I think. So that's awesome. Uh, so where can people find you then, Sandra, if, uh, if they wanted to find you to talk about movies or anything in general oh just i don't even remember my twitter handle right now i think it's evans and sandra at twitter and that's pretty much all i'm on 
If, uh, but I if do you don't mind love to talk it. about movies. I love stories in general so much. And of course, movies being the most immersive medium for that. I just really love movies, all kinds. That's awesome. Well, um, I think you're following our podcast channels and stuff. So as I say, if, if you don't mind me doing it, I'll uh, post your, a link to your Twitter and description and everything. So that'll be great. And uh, yeah, if anybody wants to talk movies with any of us, you know the rest of the details. I am at Ian Mike Wilson on Twitter or my name everywhere else. Uh, the podcast is podcast underscore screen on Twitter or silver screen podcast or the audio feed is under Mike's podcast feed. And uh, yeah, DK, do you want to shout out your deeds? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's on, usually listed under the, the podcast. It's at AKA Starlord. Uh, my articles can also be found on Warp Factor Trek and CultureSlate.com. Fantastic. And you can still check out all of our work on the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast, uh, which is also always linked uh, around below or it's at HOM Trek on Twitter, which links you to everywhere. Uh, we'll be back with that soon, but we're focusing on movies for the time being. And uh, speaking of which, we will be back next week with a timely-ish uh, movie review. Uh, I'm going to be joined by DK as usual and by George and Connor from Pasty Sheep. Uh, and we're going to be looking at uh, what we do in the shadows, the original docu-drama movie version uh, of that. So I'm looking forward to that one uh, as we await Taika Waititi's next newest movie, <laughs> the new Thor movie. So yeah, join us for that I one. And, uh, in... Sorry. Yeah, I'd also like to say, if anybody's got any thoughts about this episode, please get in touch and let us know what you think. Yes, we're struggling a little for audience interaction. So if you have any thoughts about any of the movies we've discussed at any point, but especially during series two, feel free to get in touch in any means, uh, comments or our social medias or email, which you can find listed on social media or below. Um, yeah, and uh, hopefully you'll all have enjoyed this episode and you'll join us next week. Thanks again, uh, DK, for joining me as always. And thank you so much, Sandra, for being an awesome first time guest. Yeah, that's great. So join us again next time. And uh, always remember in the epic words of Arnie, I'll be back. <laughs> I'm going to step off the limb now. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind.